This is episode 20 of the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast with Kate Shannon. The way that they want to go about it isn't necessarily by them making music, you know? And I, I think, I don't know, I don't know if it's a where it comes from, but sometimes it's like that uh, as a therapist, I'm like, but if we're we're not making music or we're not, you know, uh, is this still therapeutic? Like, is this still, are we, you know, if, if music, and I always go back to, you know, if music has made the container for this safe play to occur, then, and we're kind of working on that stuff within that and music has helped develop that relationship, then I feel like that's still music therapy. That is, we wouldn't have gotten to, gotten to, we wouldn't have made it to this place without that development and that uh, acceptance of music therapy that, that made us move to this place. You're listening to the Music Therapy Chronicles, a podcast about music therapy from a variety of perspectives. Our ambition is to inspire and connect listeners through meaningful conversations, just like a music therapy conference you can listen to anywhere. My name is Trisha Coyote, and I am a board-certified music therapist from the New England region. If you like what you hear, join our group on Facebook and share your own insights and thoughts about the episodes. You can also connect with us on social media and online at Music Therapy Chronicles. Welcome back to the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast. I am super excited to share this conversation with you because Kate is so passionate about incorporating other modalities into her practice. And hearing her be excited about all the things makes me excited to learn more about how I can incorporate these modalities into my practice, learn from other individuals, things like that. So hopefully this conversation has you feeling inspired as well. So a little bit about Kate. She is the creator behind the Creative Therapy Umbrella, formerly the Music Therapy Umbrella, which is a an online resource platform, blog, soon to be or currently by the time this is out, podcast where you can learn all about different creative and expressive arts, how you can use them in your practice and uh, resources for that kind of stuff, which is awesome because incorporating those other creative arts is a wonderful way to expand our practice. Uh, And I think that, like I said before, it just really gets me stoked about all the different things we can be doing in our music therapy practices. So definitely check out Kate's platform. And here's a little teaser for you. I am on one of her episodes. I think we'll be releasing these in conjunction. So if you've listened to hers and you've come here, welcome to the Music Therapy Chronicles. If you are listening to this and are excited to check hers out, you can go hear my voice some more, (laughs) maybe learn a little bit about me, some of the ideas I have for interventions and what have you. So definitely check her out, show her some love, tell her you were sent from the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. 
Really quick, if you're liking what you hear, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps this podcast be more visible. Check us out on social media at Music Therapy Chronicles. Join our group on Facebook. Start a conversation there about what you're learning from the episodes. Also, feel free to send me an email at feedback at musictherapychronicles.com if you want to be on an episode or if there's someone you want to be on an episode. I've had a few emails lately of people reaching out, which is awesome, Uh, guest suggestions, and also topic ideas, uh, things that you're feeling like you want to learn more about, you want to hear about, you want an expert's opinion on. So feel free to send us an email or uh, a message on Facebook or whatever, and I'll see what I can do about finding someone with that expertise to share with all of us on the pod. All right, that's enough of me rambling. Please enjoy this conversation with Kate Shannon. Kate, welcome to the podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. Thank you for being on today. And I know this is a little bit of a role change for you because you are also launching a podcast. I am. It's so exciting, but it's really fun to be on this end. And I'm excited to have this experience as well because I think it'll make uh, my podcast better, my interview skills better. So I'm excited. Yeah, I can relate to that. So um, I guess I'll say this now. We are releasing these episodes in collaboration. So Mm -hmm. if you came here from Kate's podcast, welcome to the Music Therapy Chronicles. And if you're listening to this show and just learning about Kate's podcast, go ahead and fill in the blanks for us. Sure. Uh, So my podcast is called Creative Therapy Umbrella, the podcast, and it'll be releasing in, well, by this time, it'll be out. So hopefully you're listening. And if you haven't checked it out, go check it out. It's a ton of fun and I'm really excited for it. So awesome. We'll get we'll dive more into that later. But so tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, So where to begin? Um, I grew up in upstate New York, uh, which is uh, there. It's a very large place when people refer to upstate New York. So I grew up in way upstate, which is outside of the Adirondack Park. And um, I grew up up there and just absolutely love being in nature, being in woods, hiking, camping, all that stuff is a big part of who I am and um, actually goes a lot into my self-care. So I grew up there and ended up going to school. Um, I ended up going to SUNY Oneonta for my bachelor's degrees, and I had a really hard time choosing what I wanted to get a degree in. And it, it ended up working out fantastic, but I, I bopped around and like, I think I was an education major and then I was uh, a music industry major, music business. And then I was just kind of all over the place and uh, wasn't even really sure if I was going to do music. I was kind of, you know, dabbling in other ideas too, but I ended up getting a bachelor's degree in music and a bachelor's degree in anthropology. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's a weird combo, but the part that I really loved about it was Um, like my capstone projects for a lot of those classes that I took in my undergrad 
were about um it was really like the like ethnography of music and of how people value music and creativity so uh, learning about other cultures and how they use music. And that's kind of what eventually led me to music therapy. But, um, you know, was music a form of entertainment in culture? How is it in our culture? How is it in subcultures of American culture? Um, all these different roles of music and how it was used. I was really, really interested in learning about that. So that's what kind of led me on the anthropology uh, side of things. And then I just can totally nerd out about uh, like archaeological nerdy stuff all day long too. So, um, Give us some but, fun uh, facts about that. Oh my gosh. Okay. So one of my favorite, is, so there's actually two and they're, they're both mummies. Um, one of them is, I think I'm probably not pronouncing it right, but it's Atsi the Iceman. And he was found, gosh, I think it was over 5,000 years ago, his body was mummified. And he's mummified in, I think it was the Alps. He had all these uh, markings over his body. Like they were, they actually are like tattoos. They're kind of these small inked markings. And some of them are all these different lines. Some of them are circles. And they did a lot of research into his tattoos. And they found that they were in places that, uh, where acupuncture would have helped the ailments he had at that time. So like they'd like, you know, looked into his, uh, system and found that he had to eat a lot of grain and meat. So he might've had some of these like gastrointestinal issues and having those issues and like knee issues too, was another thing he had. And all of these places where these tattoos were, were, the locations that acupuncture would have been done on him to support those things. So they were like, they, you know, there's all this research and seeing if it's a connection between that, which is just so much fun. Um, and then there's another one that's probably one of my favorites. It's the Siberian ice maiden. She is, uh, this, if, if you haven't looked her up or you, it's, she has this amazing, amazing tattoos, but you can look them up online and see her, her mummified as well. And she was a, uh, I actually took this in like, it was a gender archeology span class that I took and we did uh, a lot of her case. I think she was found in 1991 and which was really cool because she was found by a woman archeologist. So it was like, yes. Um, but she like really broke open a lot of gender archeology span kind of, uh, some of the ethnocentrism and kind of that, uh, uh, gender inequality that happened within research when looking at archaeological digs, which was really cool because she, at first it was like, oh, she's a, I think they called her like the Siberian princess. She had this massive burial. There were like six horses that were um, buried with her. She had her uh, coffin was like, I think it was like 10 feet long. Her headdress was four feet, just the headdress she was buried with. She had like all these amazing tattoos um, and very like her tattoos were really spiritual related. So they thought that maybe she had some sort of um, if she, she might have been some sort of spiritual leader. But after they kind of looked into it more and then like looked into the gender biases, they were like she there's no way she could just be a princess in this culture. Like, why isn't she a queen? Why isn't she the leader? Maybe she is like a spiritual leader. So it was just, it's a really cool case in itself of just looking at it, but then looking at it too from um, gender biases that occur even in research. It's really amazing. So 
yeah. <laughs> those are cool. <laughs> I yes. I appreciate those tidbits. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. All right. Take us back to uh, not quite present day, but yeah. you, you got your, your two degrees, your two bachelor's yeah. degrees. Then what happened? Yes. So I, I actually ended up working for a little while. I wasn't sure. Didn't really. Um, I, I knew about music therapy because my older brother had actually his first semester of school. He was going to be he did music therapy and then he ended up switching. So I'd heard of it, but I didn't really have any idea of what it was. And it didn't really feel like it fit with me yet. Um, so after I got my bachelor's degrees, I worked for a few years. I did, um, an AmeriCorps program in Rochester, New York, which was amazing. Um, and, uh, I ended up, uh, volunteering with, um, this amazing music therapist. And it's so sad cause she just passed a couple years ago and she's really, she was really young. She had a couple kids and she's just like, I, I give her like, all of my, the, I wouldn't have gotten to music therapy if I hadn't had, uh, if I hadn't volunteered with her. So it was, she just like broke open this amazing world for me. And it was just so awesome. I volunteered with her for like six months and once a week would go there. And she worked, um, at an arc for, uh, with adults with, uh, developmental disabilities and, it was just, I remember like the moment it clicking, like she had, I think she had like some lollipop drums. She had a song on that she was playing and she was like running around the room and like moving the drums up and down and the clients were having so much fun and she was having so much fun. And I was just like sitting, I'm getting chills like thinking about it. Cause I was sitting there and I was like, this is amazing. How is this a job? It's so cool. So I think that was probably the moment where I was like, I need to, I need to go go do some music therapy and, and go look more into it. So, yeah. So I then went to, uh, I eventually ended up at Nazareth College where um, I got my master's in creative arts therapy with a specialization in music therapy. And their program is really cool because it is a, um, it's like a combination. They have uh, the core classes that you're taking with art therapists and music therapists. And the core classes are, you know, mental health counseling related. So it's counseling skills, family therapy, group therapy. It's really mental health focused. And then you have like your other classes where you specialize in music. And but we even took some classes with like social workers and other mental health counselors, which was a really cool. I, I think it really affected me as a therapist. And we'll probably get into more of like, that's where, why I want to start my podcast and want to continue on that route too. Um, so it was just an amazing experience. And after I, uh, I graduated, I did my internship at Mary Cariola Children's Center in Rochester, which was just the most amazing experience ever. It was so much fun, such a, a, I can't even, put into words like the learning curve that happened <laughs> in that short amount of time. But um, we did lots of Nordoff Robbins style uh, sessions, but then also a really great balance of group sessions as well that were much more like structured with activities. And it was just such a great balance. And I really love having I still seek out that kind of a balance where you can have this space for improvising and moving on the moment musically and through play and whatever. And, but then have these other sessions that are kind of structured and you kind of follow through stuff. And I just, I loved it there. 
Um, and then I worked for about, oh gosh, I think almost four years, three and a half years at, um, a place in Rochester, Spectrum Creative Arts. I worked there for a while. I interviewed Megan last week. Yeah, <laughs> I saw I had actually just talked with her <laughs> and I was like, yes, Megan, Wade, Noah, they're all fantastic. Uh, Spectrum was such a cool place to be. It They just value creativity so much in so many different approaches. Um, it was just a fantastic place to be. It continued to shape me who I am today and what I value as a therapist. And I learned so, so much from them. And I know they have, um, I'm not sure if they have an intern now, but they have a great internship program there. You get to learn a little bit of everything. And I think actually we had talked about this, Trisha, when I interviewed you, there was, it was that place where I was like just dipping my feet in all these different things. And it really helped me learn what I like, but then it also helped me learn things that I wasn't such a huge fan of, but then I felt comfortable doing them too, which I valued so, so much. Um, so, uh, it was hard to leave there, but my, my husband and I ended up uprooting out of Western New York and moving to Colorado. So we're in Denver now, and I've been working at my current job for almost two years. And so I currently work with kids, uh, it's about like a half and half split. So kids who have special needs, um, and then kids who have life limiting illnesses, sometimes those cross over where there's special needs with life limiting illness and there's kind of some crossover there, but, um, it's amazing and it's really challenging, especially, uh, the life limiting part for the, the kiddos for sure. But it, I was just talking with a parent, actually, or no, it was a nurse, I think yesterday. And I was like, she's like, isn't this, I just get so humbled so frequently. And I was like, yes. Like there's so many times where I can just get in my own mind and start going. And then I come into a session and it's just like, oh my gosh, like just huge reality, humbling. And then I feel like I, that goes with me throughout the rest of the day. I feel like I get to learn so much too from those sessions. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's where I am now working with, uh, just amazing kiddos with an amazing team. So it's awesome. How do you, um, handle those life limiting situations and oh, what can yeah. you say to other people who might be experiencing that? Yeah, that is, I think it's a lifelong lesson. I feel like it's different for every kid. So I've had a couple of kids pass and each kid it's, it, it's interesting. Cause I feel like I end up finding a way to, there's the anticipatory grief that kind of happens where sometimes you're in a session and it's like, Oh my gosh, this kid has, you know, they gave them two months. Like that means I might only see them four more times. And it's, a, it, it's hard for that stuff to not sneak into your sessions. But I think it also, it's really great information too, because it's, I think it's speaking on the interpersonal stuff that's happening within the session when, when stuff like that comes up. So like for me, when that comes up, it's like that moment where it's like, okay, be here now just be here. And just being here is the best thing that you can do for this kiddo in this moment. Um, and then there's the afterwards part. Once you're out of the session, 
that becomes, that's, I think the harder part that I still have trouble navigating. Um, for me, the thing that has worked really, really well is I have a journal and I think I read this on, somebody mentioned something similar to it on music therapy, hospice and palliative care, the Facebook group, which is awesome to be a part of if you're doing any type of palliative, uh, end of life work. And someone had said something about a, uh, a journal and, or writing letters or something like that. I was like, that's a great idea. I love writing. So maybe I'll do something along those lines. And I've actually found it helpful for anticipatory grief and for grief in that I, it's this one journal, it's for nothing else, but for my clients and for me to write to my clients. And it's, I kind of just went at it and just jumped in of like, you know, whenever I was having a, a feeling, especially if I was at home and had those feelings, cause then it was like, Oh, boundaries, you know, like I, I, you know, this is work stuff, but it's really important and it's coming up. So I, I want to find a way to get it out. And so in my journal, I will, I usually write it, I'm ending up writing it to the client and it's, uh, it really is just like my thoughts, my feelings towards them that I'm thinking about, you know, anything that really comes up in that moment and I'm writing it kind of to them in that journal, but then it just stays there. It doesn't go anywhere. It just stays right in that journal. It's, you know, it's more for me, but I think sometimes, especially when there's those moments where you don't get closure and, you know, a kid passes, you know, really unexpectedly, those are the times where I feel like I really lean on that to kind of have more of that closure for myself also. Um, but then for the anticipatory grief, I feel like it's been really valuable because that I think sneaks in sometimes to in, uh, when you're not at work, all of a sudden it's like something reminds you. I remember I was watching, this was like a terrible, terrible idea. I had a client that passed and like a week later we were like, Oh, let's watch Coco. I hadn't seen Coco yet. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. Like, it'll be great. (laughs) I had to stop it. Like there's one part and I I can't quite remember where it was, but there was so much with the, with, you know, the death and the afterlife stuff. And I was like, Whoa, like too much is coming up. I have to pause this. And I like went and took, you know, took a while, wrote my journal. We ended up watching it, you know, a month or two later when it was just a better place to be. But, um, but it's, I think you have to be really careful of, those things that can jump into outside of work. And it's, you know, I value those too. I wouldn't change it that that happens, but I think it's finding an outlet to help support those too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think of that for me, journaling is really a self-care thing too. So to have a separate space where it's kind of professional self-care Um, it's, it's important for your own preservation, but also, uh, if you're going back to review goals you've written in your journal, you're not going to flip through some, some more maybe triggering things that's, that's in a different location. So that's a great, that's a great technique to use, I think. Yeah, I, it's, um, I, I feel the same that it's like I journal also for self-care. Um, and I felt really conflicted and thinking about like, should I just put this in my regular journal? But feels just so separate. And I think too, there's something so intimate about it. I like even thinking about where that journal is. It's like, it's like way down in the bottom of my desk, like where, you know, it's like, this is my very intimate space, you know, and I feel like it is just such an intimate space, similarly to the sessions 
at that time when you're in that type of work, um, it just feels so intimate that I, I just want it to have its own separate space for it to just kind of flourish in that space too. So, yeah. yeah. Well said. Thanks. I want to, I want to let that sink in the, the heaviness of that conversation before we move on. Mm-hmm. So you have lots of experiences with, uh, I'm going to say, different modalities of therapy. And one of your favorite is play therapy. It is. Dive into that. Tell us all about that. Yes. (laughs) So, okay. Well, I think what what got me on this too, especially um, my master's degree introduced that, uh, introduced play therapy, Santray, we did, you know, uh, shared classes with art therapists. So we were doing, you know, had that experience of creative therapy stuff right from the get-go for me, which was awesome. I loved it. And I am also, um, I feel like I'm not the most like super musical person. Like I almost didn't even get a music degree in college. I love music and it's one of my favorite things, favorite ways to create, but I also really like creating through art. Um, <laughs> and I, I only realized this recently through play. Um, I play D and D dungeons and dragons and that mode of play it's a, it's just play it's adult you know you know where you're role playing and you're using your imagination to f- solve these really fun problems and um i really love doing that and it's really now that i i'm getting some experience doing play therapy and learning more about it and studying it i'm like this is just the adult version of some <laughs> of this stuff it's just it's just playing um but so what really got me into learning more about play therapy, I had these great introductions and I feel like that seed had been planted, had this phenomenal teacher in my master's, uh, Dr. Demanchik, who was a play therapist and just fantastic teacher. And I think he planted that seed a long time ago too, but we, uh, what I think really got me going on it more is that now doing this type of therapy that in some palliative care work. Um, but I've also really dug into it too on, uh, working with kids who have autism or have different disabilities. And there, for me, something that I value so much working with clients is finding the client's genuine autonomy. I want to dig as far deep down as I can and find like what makes you tick. Like I, you know, I'm not a big, I'm not big on bringing in session plans for groups. I do that, but for individuals, I really value trying to find like really matching where the client is at and like sitting with them and, you know, having some options of stuff laid out of the shape drums over here and then maybe some bean bags over here and, and then really seeing where the client wants to go that day. Cause it's, always different. Um, and what I've found happening and I found this happening when I started at this job and, um, so many clients that I would, and I work with a lot of clients that are 12 and under and a lot that are actually five and under too. So, um, really in that play stage where pretend play is just starting to flourish and, um, you know, they're engaging with other people, but wanting to do that pretend play stuff too. And, uh, so my nerdiness, (laughs) 
of what you know playing Dungeons and Dragons totally comes out and like yeah let's oh I'm a dragon okay I'm gonna be a dragon and um being in those moments with kids I found so many times that the music and this it's my thing too where I'm like okay you know, I'm trying to engage them with instruments or something, but they don't want to, they want to pretend play. And then I might add some music, you know, of like, Ooh, this is a scary thing that's happening you know, make up something that's happening. And they love that and, and seek that out. And that continues the play, but it's not necessarily that they are playing music. They aren't, they aren't making music, but we're being in music together. And that relationship has just, I, I can't stop thinking about it. I can't stop seeing it in a lot of the sessions that I'm in. Um, I got this, there's this really great article. Um, it's called, but I want to talk to you and it's perspectives on music therapy practice with highly verbal children on the autism spectrum. Grace Thomas, uh, wrote it and it was just, I think published in this year in the Nord Nordic journal, um, of music therapy. And I found that and I was like, yes, this, this, this is exactly, this is exactly what's happening. And it, it's kind of, it, it's all of the stuff has really fallen into place, place really well for me because <clears throat> coming out to, here to Colorado, they don't have an LCAT like they do in New York. So I'm in the process of getting my LPC out here. Um, because the master's degree that I got in New York set us up for licensure. And so out here, I just need to get my supervised hours and a class or two, and then I'll have a counseling license as well. So, and within doing that, I've also been doing a lot of the play therapy stuff under that, that learning piece under the licensed uh, counselor stuff. So it's kind of been this really beautiful chaos that has just all come together of I'm seeing this happen in my sessions and then I'm doing more of this mental health, uh, mental health work supervision to understand what's happening more, learning about that, especially with kids under, you know, 10, how development plays into that, how all these different theories of personality kind of play into all of that stuff. And, just it's all kind of like smashing together right now, which is really exciting and a little bit overwhelming at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So yeah. the the mental image that I got from all that is a lot of what I've seen when I've attended, you know, conference presentations or CMTEs or whatever about trauma informed music therapy and how that's very play therapy. Um, centered or, or can be and so I've had sessions too where I have done more of a play therapy model and incorporated the music or kind of created a soundtrack per se to whatever we're doing and in my brain I'm always like this is what our profession talks about for trauma-centered therapy and this client I'm working with is not um identified as having a trauma diagnosis so so it's it's nice to be validated and hear that you know it's it's just mm -hmm. how children process it's just how they learn it's just how they go through the motions to learn the skills that we're trying to get them to understand yes and that's I felt exactly the same way too when I read this article it was like yes especially that particular article was on you know working with kids who felt who that, that was happening with autism so there was that trauma wasn't necessarily there or it wasn't the main thing or maybe it hadn't come out yet but it really wasn't it was you know this 
client has autism and they're doing music therapy for developing, you know, pragmatic skills, pragmatic language stuff, social language. But the way that they want to go about it isn't necessarily by them making music, you know? And I, I think, I don't know, I don't know if it's a, where it comes from, but sometimes it's like that, uh, as a therapist, I'm like, but if we're, we're not making music or we're not, you know, uh, is this still therapeutic? Like, is this still, are we, you know, if, if music, and I always go back to, you know, if music has made the container for this safe play to occur, then, and we're kind of working on that stuff within that and music has helped develop that relationship then I feel like that's still music therapy. That is, we wouldn't have gotten to, gotten to, we wouldn't have made it to this place without that development and that uh, acceptance of music therapy that that made us move to this place. Um, the other day I just had a kiddo come in and I, I have a feeling this is related to school starting, lots of changes, um, lots of more sensory processing needing to happen throughout the day comes right from school to my session. So um, when the client came in, the first thing they said was, I don't want to hear any music today. And they covered their ears. And I was like, okay, that's, you know, no music today. Let's, you know, let's play. And I kind of had all these different things out. And so we played for a while. And eventually music came out of it. But I feel like even there might have been an older part of me that would have been trying to get the music a little bit you know, like really being like, okay, well maybe we'll just start with this or maybe we might do this. And, but I feel like the honoring what he was advocating, advocating for in the moment that he didn't want music, but he wanted to play. He was still super excited to come into the session and honoring that we were able to move to that space, which was great. And even if we didn't, I feel like it still would have been therapeutic. So. It's kind of like what comes first, the music or the therapist. <laughs> You know, which yeah. am I? Uh, uh -huh. In another episode that should be out by the time this is released, I was talking with uh, the person about how silence, allowing time and space for silence can be music therapy. You know, we're in charge of the soundscape. And if what the client needs for the soundscape is 10 minutes of quiet, you know, then we're at liberty to give that to them. Yes, so much. And, yeah. and we might be the only the only person who can, you know. So, yeah. Uh, I think in some ways we're a little more flexible with that kind of stuff. I, I'm not a speech therapist. I'm not an OT. But I think it would be different for them to allow just time to sit in silence. Yes. And I feel like where that would happen is I was just talking about this in supervision in my um, with a social worker for like mental health counseling in that if a kiddo comes into a session and asks for that there, that that might be the place where that might happen more. So, and I, I felt like this, this play kind of stuff for me anyway, has fallen more on a mental health side, even for kids who are diagnosed with some type of, um, if it's autism, um, down syndrome, a cognitive delay, a processing delay, it's more, I feel like this happening, this shift in, it's like a mental health piece of, um, I like, I feel really passionate about honoring what the client really needs. And, you know, uh, 
not there. There's so much throughout their day where they have to do this. They have to do this. This has to come next. And it feels really against the grain for me to have sessions where it's like, you have to do this. If you're the only time is if someone's not being safe, obviously, but Mm -hmm. you know, I feel like it's my job to be flexible and to figure out and to be the researcher in that moment of how can I connect to you? Like, how can I, if you're coming into this session, it's my job to figure out how I want to connect to you or not how I want to, how I can connect to you, how I can get there, which path do we take today to get there? And if you're closing off this one and this one, then I'll try this one and this one. And maybe that, maybe that path is silence for 10 minutes and that's okay. And that, you know, I think that just honors so much of the genuine authentic, the authenticity of those clients, especially as little kids. I feel like we, I want to do that more. I feel like it's not there enough for little kids. Well, and that encourages them to advocate for themselves, even if it's, I don't want to hear music today. And then showing them that when you advocate for yourself, if the time is appropriate and conducive, we can meet those requests. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That advocacy piece is so important. And that, reflection too, like, uh, you know, when a, a client says that and I, f- I feel the need to say like, Oh, you really want some quiet time today. Like you've, your, your ears have taken in a lot. You're, you're busy in your mind. Let's, you know, there's mindfulness in that there's, um, helping the client recognize, uh, that understand their need and not just, you know, I need this. And then, Oh, that's why I need it. You know, mm-hmm. that, being that mirror, that reflector to say like, I, oh, I understand what you're saying. You, you need this because, and then that feels so therapeutic too, to just help put those things back out there for the client to hear if they're in a place to hear them and then to process them, especially if there's 10 minutes of silence. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great time to process that. For sure. So yeah. how can people out there who have not really tried play therapy uh, Mm -hmm. are doing music therapy, how can they start to incorporate that in their sessions and into their practice? Well, I think a big important thing, just like we are constantly advocating for music therapy, you have to have a credential, you have to have education. It's not a one course thing to go be a music therapist, but as a expressive therapist, play is part of play is one of those modalities that we can as long as we're practicing within our scope of practice that we can take some techniques from just like we do with speech, PT, OT. I think the best thing to do is go do, go do training, go find, you know, there's different types of training you can do. There's so much, so many different styles, approaches, there's directive, there's non-directive. Um, I think too, if you can consult or find a play therapist, go talk to somebody. I feel like Every person that is a play therapist that I've talked with just lights up when I'm like, you know, I'm a music therapist and, but I'm interested in, in supporting this play within my scope of practice so that I'm not, you know, shutting down other modes of creativity just because we're in music, we're in a, we're in a creative session. Like how can I continue to support that? And, um, I, uh, uh, I think there's, there's a great podcast, um, lessons from the playroom that is Lisa Dion's uh podcast and she is the founder of synergetic play therapy which is a a, a 
particular approach and it's really fantastic. But that podcast has been just all these just fantastic nuggets of information of learning about um, play. So um, I do have some stuff on this is a goal of mine on my blog um, is to have more of this stuff. I have a couple things up of using like tracking, which is a basic play therapy technique and reflection, which is a counseling, but reflection within tracking, which is a play therapy technique. Um, so I think the biggest thing is to, is, is like any, when as music therapists, we're, we're always kind of sneaking in and pulling into other, uh, domains and modalities is to, you know, reach out to somebody, uh, find out more if there's a play therapist, if there's continuing education, free stuff like podcasts, reading articles like this particular article. There's some great play therapy articles. I wish I could think of some, um, there's tons of play therapy books too, that are helpful. Uh, there's this one, I can't remember the name of it, but if it comes to me, I'll mention that too. Um, but, and I think the big thing too is respecting that, you know, to be a play therapist, you also have to have a two years of, you know, doing, I think it's like 150 hours of contact or, you know, doing, um, continuing education, there's supervision piece to it. So it's just like music therapy where you have to have a considerable amount of additional, uh, education and supervision to get registered as a play therapist. But there's a lot of ways where play and music are just completely overlapping, just like play and drama and, you know, play and art and play and speech or music and speech and, uh, you know, music and, and PT, OT, all of that stuff. We really just kind of lay on top of all of those things and overlap in a way. I'll link the resources you mentioned, but if you think of any others, awesome. throw them out. And I'll, I will them. send you the book too. Whatever the awesome. book is, I think it's like developing the play therapy relationship. It's actually like a workbook. It's fantastic. It's awesome. I like that. I like interactive yeah. things. I feel like I learn more Me from too. them. <laughs> Me too. I'm always so hesitant to actually fill it out though. Cause I'm like, Oh, but wait, I should, I should write this down in a separate journal or yeah. something. <laughs> so in five years I can, it'll be completely different. My answer will be different. My approach yep. will be different. Cause yep, we're, exactly. we're always evolving and changing. So that that's actually mm-hmm. a really good segue. Your platform went mm-hmm. through a name change is, you know, you're building all these things now. Tell us, tell us all about that. Yeah. So, uh, my, uh, my website w- was called, it still is, you can still go to music therapy and, um, it's my, uh, it actually came from a place of, uh, it's actually started from burnout. Um, so I had about a year ago, had, um, a pretty significant phase of burnout that I went through and I actually did Ami's, uh, the course. It was amazing. (laughs) It was life-changing. I still, I have the journal that I kept from doing all of the, uh, the modules throughout it. It was just so amazing and helped me understand burnout and helped me understand my own needs in work, in, in, uh, home life in, you know, all these different places of where I, what balance I need. And it was just a great self-reflection, like a year of self-reflection stuff. It was awesome. So I did that. And that really, really helped me understand 
what I was missing and kind of where my burnout was coming from. And so I ended up starting uh, the blog and my website and kind of like dabbled on and off in it and didn't really get serious until like uh, maybe like six months ago, I started getting more serious into it. And as I was doing this, I was like, you know, I, I called it music therapy umbrella because I do identify as a music therapist first. I feel like that is my, my identity. And this might change in, you know, we are ever evolving. And maybe in five years, I might identify as a counselor first and the music therapist second. But right now, I identify as a music therapist. And I kind of have a feeling that I always will. That will be first because it's really what started my journey. But um, the change came, <clears throat> excuse me, because I do feel so passionate about the creative arts and I am very passionate about music therapy, but I'm also really passionate about the integration of all therapies with music therapy about, you know, art and dance together and just all these different modalities and how they can support clients, especially as I've just been working with clients who seem to need that more, who are, you know, they, they seek that out. Um, so I pulled off the bandaid and I was like, I'd been thinking about it for months of like, okay, I feel like just calling, calling this space a music therapy umbrella, um, isn't doing the justice. I feel like even to the music therapy field, because we do work with so many other, um, professionals with so many other, uh, modalities of creativity with so many other ways of expressing, you know, we do movement, we're incorporating dance, we're incorporating drama, if we do song stories, and, you know, we're targeting speech, targeting uh, PT. And I feel like we do that a lot. But there's also therapists on the outside who are doing that too with music. And I feel like I just want to create this umbrella, this space where therapists can talk, we can hear their stories, ups and downs of therapy life in general and that stuff. But how are other therapists, how are other creative therapists using their modalities? How are they staying creative in a creative field? The, you know, I'm really interested in the client space, uh, creativity within the therapy relationship, but then also creativity outside of that. How, how is somebody not burning out when they're constantly being creative at work? Um, do they engage in a different modality outside of the one that they do at work? Um, so I decided to change the name to creative therapy umbrella. So, and my podcast also is now creative therapy umbrella instead of music therapy umbrella. And I hope that the broadening of that doesn't take away from music therapy. Cause that's where I feel like my, uh, my biggest piece comes in with that, but that it opens so many more doors for other people who are listening or other people who feel that they need more, um, I don't know, more support or more inspiration or just hearing those other stories. For me, I, as a podcast listener, it's, it, it's what gets me, gets me going. I get ideas from it. And it's just like, I think we said earlier that validation can be so, so helpful to us too, just like it's helpful for our clients. So I hope that the broadening of um, the platform is going to better serve music therapists and also serve 
the creative and expressive therapy um, fields as well. Yeah, I love that. So at the last conference I attended, some of the the other people, attendees I was talking to were saying um, things to the effect of, well, a lot of the sessions, it's information I already know. I'm not really sure. I'm, I'm getting more out of it after working in the field for so many years. And I think that the creative therapy umbrella and resources like that are going to be a wonderful way for people to expand their practice, right? Because you can incorporate all these different modalities that you can't know everything about all the things. So it's awesome that that's going to be available for people. And that was, that's, you hit the nail on the head. That's it. I think that's where I felt too, where, where I felt stuck in part of my burnout was like, I feel so I, and I, I hate to say this cause it sounds terrible, but I felt limited in my music therapy sessions. I felt limited to music and I, I did a lot of the stuff of like, I need to be a better music therapist. I need to go do more CMTEs, which I did. And, you know, I need to get supervision and I did. And, and then I kind of realized like, Oh, this isn't a music issue. This is a creative this is a creative thing that I'm feeling I need more from. And, and then I was like, and I'm seeing this with my clients too. Like they don't want music right now, or music is not the best thing that might be able to support them in this moment. What can I add to my toolbox to help support that? That maybe is a still creative modality or something else that can support them in that moment. So that's exactly, exactly what I felt at that time. And I'm hoping this can help other people through that too. Awesome. I'm really excited to to dive into that and to cool. get the inspiration from yes. your episodes. I'm stoked. <laughs> I'm super excited too. And it's definitely, um, I think it's going to be at about like a 50-50 split. Still lots of music therapists, but um, I've got, I know the, the music therapists that I have interviewed and I have had lined up are also dabble in a lot of other creative modalities too. And there's uh that piece that I think will be added in there too, for even, uh, interviewing music therapists, but then art therapy, drama therapy. Um, I have a good friend who's dual certified as a counselor and a music therapist. And so if anyone is interested in, you know, being on the podcast, you can email me too. <clears throat> My email is creative therapy umbrella at gmail.com. But um, I'm interested too in anyone who knows who works with other expressive therapists, creative arts therapists, um, if speech OTPT, uh, mental health counselors who use creative modalities, same thing. I just want to really make this umbrella broad um, to really support people as much as possible, as much as I can do that. Awesome. Hopefully some yeah. of the listeners will, I'll put the email in the in the show yeah. notes, so hopefully some of them will be reaching mm -hmm. out to you. I look forward to it so much. She's I love feedback. <laughs> Kate is a great host also. So so if you're worried, <laughs> you. she makes it very, very easy, easy conversation, good topics. Uh -huh. <laughs> we, um, I just started this and I'm really bummed because when I interviewed uh, you, Trisha, we didn't do it, but I'm doing a would you rather segment at the beginning ah. of, and I've gotten a lot of people to send them to me from like Facebook and a bunch of different places. And it's been a really fun way to start the podcast and just hear the ridiculousness of some of the would you rathers. So that's been a really fun part to add that little game and play element into that. Yeah. Yeah. I like yeah. that a lot. Yes. 
You you made a good segue again for me. Are you ready to move into rapid fire or would you ready. like to add yeah. anything? All righty. So you you know the questions. At this point, it's not like yeah. exciting for the guests because most of them know the questions. I've binge, listen, binge listened enough. <laughs> so yeah, yes, I think I know most of them. Do you remember the first one? Is it coffee or tea? Yes. Yep. <laughs> I am currently drinking a very large cup of coffee. <laughs> well, it's early where uh, you are, right? It is. Yeah. It's just about nine. So, but, um, yeah, I absolutely love coffee. Although, um, I'm pretty energetic without it, especially in the morning. So I don't need it, but, (laughs) but I really, really like it. So, um, I've, I've dabbled with the idea of moving to decaf, but I, I haven't gotten to that point yet. So, um, but yeah, I do love coffee. Although I have to stop drinking it. I cannot have it after 12 or else, like I'm uh, like just a busybody for the rest of the day and then I can't sleep. And so I have to be really particular about when I drink it. Self-awareness. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Early bird or night owl? Definitely early bird. <laughs> I wish I was a night owl, but I'm in bed at like 930. Um, I think it got, I think I started getting up even earlier uh, once I got a dog who you probably just heard barking, <laughs> um, she's a puppy. So it's like five thirty, six o'clock, six thirty in the morning. She's up and ready to go and barking at a squirrel or whatever. And so that's gotten me up even earlier, but I really like getting up in the morning. I just have natural energy and want to like get up and start working on stuff. And half the time I don't even drink coffee until like eight o'clock and I've already had energy. And then I just add more to it, which sometimes isn't always the best. (laughs) I think you're the first person I've ever heard say they wish they were a night owl. (laughs) (laughs) It's the grass is always greener. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Well, comes I think when it's like, um, you know, I need to like watch a movie or something and I'm like, oh, I better prep for this. If we're going to watch it like 1030, I better, you know, maybe I should drink a a coffee at 1 p.m. to keep myself up. So, but yeah, I do really like getting up early. Good for you. Mm-hmm. Something you would tell your younger self? This one I've been thinking about too. This is a, this is such a good question. Uh, I think, I think I would tell myself to not only listen to your gut, but really listen to it, like stop and like spend time with it. Um, there, there's this great podcast, uh, by Tara Brock. Uh, she's, uh, a psychologist and really into like Buddhist psychology and, uh, mindfulness practice. And I absolutely love listening to her stuff. Um, but, uh, something I think about that she kind of said that makes me think this stuff more often is, sitting with like the feelings that you have, like they are, a, they are a person ne- on a park bench next to you. And just like you're sitting and chatting with them and maybe that's anger, maybe that's anxiety and maybe it's fear, but you're really just like, uh, humanizing that feeling. And, um, I feel that way, like almost with my gut as its own thing of, there's times where I've listened to it and then I just kind of quickly move on and I'm like, okay, yeah, you said that, whatever, whatever. Oh, well, let's go this way. But I feel like the more that I sit and spend time with it, 
and like just give it that space sometimes 10 minutes of silence if that's what it needs like that has just so helped me grow as a person as a professional um and it helps me to I think and this is probably also goes along with another thing I would say is you just don't care what other people think as much and I think for me spending time with my gut feelings has helped not think about so much what other people are thinking. And even like with the change from music therapy umbrella to creative therapy umbrella, like I was like, okay, I need to sit and spend time with this. Like, what is my mission? What is my gut telling me? Why is it telling me that? Let me spend time. Let me journal about it later. And I was like, okay, no, this is just this, my gut's telling me to do this. So I'm going to do it. And now that I've done it, I feel a million times better. So yeah, I wish I wish I would have started that practice a long time ago. I think it would have been a really but I'm I'm thankful that I'm doing it now too. So it's a good journey. Yeah. A good way to, to say that. So it's all it's all in the timing. It's all yes. gonna happen the way it's supposed to. Exactly. <laughs> um this one you can add on to your music therapy yep. elevator speech. But if ooh, you like ooh. tie in anything else that you do, however oh. you you want I did to not present that. This one. Oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I should know it right off the, off the bat. I definitely go with the classic uh, that music therapy is a health profession that is uh, that requires uh, board certification and extensive education, and it is um, supporting non-musical goals, and that can support. Uh, a variety of things for a variety of people, including, you know, from newborns all the way up until uh, up to um, early um, into geriatric care and can support different domains such as social skills, academic skills, mental health needs. Um, so I usually go with that general uh, piece, but I found myself leaning more towards, and this is probably because this is what the, uh, population that I think I'm just kind of getting into and having more exposure to is, uh, talking about how music therapy can support, um, an individual's innate creativity as a person and as a unique individual. And music can be a container to help grow those connections and help, um, foster connections with other people through that creativity as well. And through that connection and that creativity um, can improve mental health, can improve social skills, communication skills, can improve lots of soft skills and hard skills through that as well. And also honor the person's innate um, authenticity and their, their own autonomy. Awesome. Your favorite <laughs> self-care practice. Oh, I am. This is super cliche. I love taking baths. <laughs> um, it's it's funny because like reading a lot more about people and uh, their different self-care practices. And a lot of people are like, oh, I always thought it was about taking baths. And I'm like, it is for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just my quiet time where... 
like, you know, it's, I usually end up like reading a good book. I can just relax. I'm not thinking about anything else, but just like literally like soaking and just like, uh, it's just such a, I feel like it just melts away a lot of stuff of my day. And so that is a regular practice for me, but also, especially now having a dog, uh, who is very energetic, <laughs> which is great. I love it. But she demands of it more of me too. But it's also just been this really great uh, cyclical thing where, you know, she needs to be walked. She has to run at some point in her day. Or like, she is like a sniff monster. Like she will sniff for, if I let her for hours, like just everything. And I think she has part terrier or something in her. <laughs> but so I have been, um, when I'm taking her, I take her for a walk every day and a couple walks. But um, in the morning, I've done started this thing where I'm taking her for a walk and I don't have my phone. Well, I have it off, but I have it tucked away in a bag and it's just me and my dog. And um, I just kind of let her do her thing. And it's been really fun because it's like, I, I just the other day I was like, you're exploring the whole world through your nose right now. Like, this is so cool. And like just watching her do that. And I feel really um, in the moment and present with her and appreciative and not like, oh, my gosh, stop sniffing that one leaf. Like, it's not that big of a deal. Like, it, it just brings me to the present moment and to sit things that are so simple and I don't think I would be able to do that without her. She has, uh, she has definitely grown my patience in a very good way. <laughs> I can relate to that. Yes. <laughs> my dog also is, uh, she likes to sniff things. Yes. Yeah. And I've just I've gotten like so appreciative of it lately. I'm like, that's how you're explore. That's how you explore and take in. I, I joke, um, all the time with my husband. I'm like, Oh, she's checking her emails. Well, they have to, it's, they get so much information from other dogs, from other animals. And I'm like, I always want to check my emails and get them out of the way. Like, how could I stop her from being, you know, doing that? So I always try to reframe it into that perspective. <laughs> Good one. Good one. Yeah. Something that's currently adding value to your life. Oh, there's so much. Um, I think I have a couple. Uh, I'm doing supervision. I have to do a lot of supervision right now to get my LPC. So I do supervision weekly for an hour. Um, yes, an hour each week. And I have two different supervisors who I'm doing that with. And it is phenomenal. I love, love supervision so, so much. It's just, it's worth every penny. It is like, I can't even put a uh, number to how the value, or I can't even explain the value that it's given me as a professional and as a person. Um, so that's adding a lot, a lot of value, uh, to my life, I think for sure. Um, and then I would say outside of that, outside of work to, uh, something that's adding value to my life, um, in general is, uh, I think, my, I would have to say my pets and my family, they're just so, they always continue to add value. Like I, I'm always appreciative of the new value that continues to like come in and the new experiences that just add value that like we all share together. And, um, 
my family, meaning my husband, my dog and my cat, (laughs) like just like quirky little things that happen. You know, the other day, uh, my dog really does like to chase my cat and she's getting better, but they were sitting, you know, like six inches apart from each other. And it was like, this is so amazing. Like we've grown to this place together. (laughs) It just feels so, it feels so good to have those moments. It just, they just make me so happy. Awesome. That's um, a great way to express gratitude for the little things. I love that. Yes, Yes, for sure. Your favorite intervention or song to use in a session? Oh, this is such a good one. Um, I don't know if I have like an all-time favorite. It can just be your current favorite. I know you ask this on your podcast, so you have mm-hmm. tons of intervention ideas. And they're all like jumbled in my head now. Um, I have this one that I've been using right now that I really like. And um, it's actually, I just sent it out in my newsletter. Um, it's called Little Leaves. And it I saw it, on a, it was a poem. Um, I can't remember who wrote it, but it was a poem on like a teacher's um bulletin board and I was like that is a perfect song for a song so I just wrote a cute little melody to it and I use like cut out leaves and I really I love felt boards felt boards are like one of my favorite things to use in sessions and so we have these cut out leaves and what we do is we kind of like throw the leaves around and then you have to gather them back up with the song and then you put them in the parachute And then once you get the parachute going, you do this big like whoosh part and then the leaves go everywhere. So it's really fun because you're making a total mess, but it's like an appropriate way to like make a mess. And it's just so fun to see clients faces like light up when the when the leaves go everywhere. It's just so, so much fun. And then we go back and pick them up. So we're working on some, you know, of that fine motor stuff. And there's the one part where it's like, whoosh, where uh, I hear a lot of kiddos like start with the W or do the ooh sound, which is really cool. Um, but I love it because it leaves a lot of space for exploration and um, honoring nature too, which is really fun too, to incorporate that and talk about leaves or look out the window when leaves start to change. And uh, that one's been my favorite right now. I've, although the leaves haven't started changing here yet, they're not totally there. So I'm ahead of the game a little bit. I don't know how they are by you. Uh, like one or two trees, but okay. it's getting cool here for sure. <laughs> Nice. Yes. Yeah. Fall is coming. I like that. I'm going to use that for sure. I've done a similar thing. I think last year I did um, spring. It was like the spring, winter to spring transition. And I had snowflakes and flowers in the parachute. And I was like, we want to get the snowflakes out and we want to keep the flowers in. So we're going out with winter and keeping, we want spring and similar idea. They had a lot of fun with that. I love that. I'm totally going to steal that. (laughs) (laughs) Please do. There's this other song during that time of year. Um, It's called When the Gnomes Go Underground. Uh, I don't know how I found this song, but it's on somebody's SoundCloud. Um, Oh, it might be like a a, a Montessori song. Um, Maybe it's something like that. But When the Gnomes Go Underground, super cute about gnomes in spring and hiding under roofs of snow. And But it talks about flowers, too. So that is... Um, I usually use the parachute with it, but now I'm going to add that to it because that's such a fun element. Awesome. Oh, yeah. I love this. Brainstorming ideas. Me too. <laughs> All right. So where can people find you, connect with you? I'll put your email so people can be on your podcast and I'll put a link to your website. Yes. 
That is awesome. So my website is creativetherapyumbrella.com. And uh, my podcast will be out by this time. So you'll be able to find me on iTunes. And then also on my website there, you can listen to the podcast there as well. Uh, My email, creativetherapyumbrella at gmail.com. Instagram too, uh, it's creativetherapyumbrella. So I love, 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 love hearing from people. Connecting with people is just one of my all-time favorite things. So I tell people all the time, just feel free to reach out with any questions, anything you're interested in. If you have a good, would you rather send it my way? Um, if you want to, if a guest or you want to be on the podcast too, or if you want more content on the website, reach out and let me know. I absolutely love feedback and I love connecting with people. So awesome. We'll link all that below. Thank you so much for talking with me today. This is a great conversation. Yeah, this was so much fun. And I'm really excited to release these at the same time. It's going to be so great. I really hope that episode got you as excited as it got me because I I always say, I think on this podcast, that our scope of practice is so wide, it's so broad, it's so hard to know everything. But at the same time, knowing that these other therapies are out there and that we can draw from them and learn from them and incorporate them is more exciting and empowering to me than it is overwhelming. I'm not sure if that makes sense, if anyone understands what I'm saying, but it's exciting to know that there's always ways to expand our practice um, and to enhance the service we're providing to our clients. So I hope you enjoyed that podcast. Now that you finished it, go and check out Kate's podcast, uh, The Creative Therapy Umbrella. She has some great content lined up and more in-depth conversations about incorporating these other modalities into your practice. As always, please leave us a review on iTunes if you feel so inclined. Also, if you're looking for another way to support the podcast, you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash music therapy chronicles. I really appreciate any support people feel like they can give over there. And I am offering the opportunity to ask the questions to the guests on Patreon. So I will, when I schedule interviews, leave a list or post about who's going to be on the podcast. And if you have a special question you want to ask them or a topic that you know they have expertise on and you want them to cover, that'd be really helpful for me to know what the listeners are looking for and to be able to provide that specifically. So please check out our Patreon. Uh, check us out on social media, join our Facebook group. You can get in contact with us there. And if you or someone you know wants to be on the podcast, please send an email to feedback at musictherapychronicles.com. Alrighty, have a wonderful week and I'll see you in the next episode. Mm-hmm.